Welcome to the Behind Composed Doors podcast, the podcast for musicians, educators, and beginning musical students. We cover everything from the basics of music to life experiences as a music educator. Your host, Ethan Smith, is ready and waiting to talk to you. Let's not keep him waiting. Let's go beyond the door. to another episode of the Behind Composed Doors podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Smith. Today's episode is going to be very interesting. Today, we're going to be talking about verbal and nonverbal communication for musicians and how it can benefit and or hurt us. Verbal communication is communication that is done verbally with spoken language. Nonverbal communication is communicating non-verbally, so without saying anything. In an ensemble, it relies a lot on non-verbal communication, but it also relies a lot on verbal communication. During a concert, you can't really have verbal communication. The conductor is up there waving his arms and showing certain signs with his opposite hand. Us, as the performers, have to interpret what they're doing And we have to interpret what their hand is trying to convey to us. So as musicians, we get very used to using nonverbal communication. Verbal communication typically happens in the rehearsal process when you would stop and go over certain spots where it's all, hey, you didn't play this right. That thing is not right. Ooh, something's off, dynamics, this, that, the other thing. I love challenging my students with nonverbal communication. You could typically do a thing of charades where it's like I show them a song, but they two people don't hear it. They come in and have to guess. First one to guess wins. That's a very typical version of that's a very typical version of musical Jeopardy. My musical Jeopardy is very different, where I split the group up into two teams. I have one representative from each team come up, and I show them one little piece of paper. On that little piece of paper is a musical term. So, like, broken drumstick, fermata, key change, something like that. And then they those representatives go back to their teams and then they have to charade to their teammates that musical term. It is incredibly hard. It is such a challenge for them because it takes them so long to even get a, to even get a hint of what the actual thing is. And what I noticed with a lot of my students is they come up with one nonverbal way of showing it. And then they just repeat that until they give up. The students have such a hard time coming up with different ways to try to explain something non-verbally. And like, oh my God, it is so, it's so hard because let's say I give them a broken drumstick. 
you know, they would imagine grabbing a drumstick, breaking over their knee, maybe imitating a snare drum. But that's about all they get. Now, obviously, broken snare drums a little bit easier. But if you have like fermata, I basically just tell them, yo, that means hold until I cut you off. And the looks on their faces when they get that one is so great because I'm just like, "Mm, have fun. I'm not going to help you because it's so, so helpful to get their brain working and getting their team members brains working as well. The issue with this is when they get into this one set cycle, they just go, they go mental. They start hating it. It's not as fun. So then I have to give them some verbal hints. Fermata, their hint would be something like, I'm going to hold this thing here for a while or something like that. Like some, like something that helps them, but is also not super close. Broken drumstick would be like, oh man, now I got to get a new one. Something like that. And it typically helps them get in the right track. Sometimes it takes two hints, but I just think it's a super fun challenge for them. With this idea of nonverbal communication, it can also work against us. How many of you have worked with a group or conducted a group and something goes wrong and you're just like, oh man, that was rough, but you're still going. You're like, maybe I'll see another thing that's wrong before stopping. Well, the issue then becomes uh, you can non-verbally show the group, wow, this is bad. And then they'll start playing worse because they just want to stop. They they know something's up. They know something's bad. They know you're not happy with it. So then their confidence level goes down and then the performance goes down. And then all of a sudden one error becomes like 15 others. It's one thing to like not stop at every individual problem. You just don't want to show that it's a problem. Like if it's really bad, like show it and stop. Don't show it and keep going because when they know something's wrong, that's when their brains start going, am I wrong? Am I not wrong? Stuff like that. Who's wrong? Where's wrong? Is that me? Is that them? Then their brain is everywhere but where you want them to be. And that's focused on the music. But at the same time, if you're in the middle of that, you're not going to just look at them and be like, hey, you flutes, that was a really bad rhythm while they're still playing something else like you, you can't. So then, okay, you show verbally, oh, my God, that was really bad. You stop, take a deep breath and you're like, here's the problem. There's that verbal communication. It's hard for them to see that nonverbal so bad. And then you try to sugarcoat it. I don't sugarcoat anything for my students. If something's bad, I will tell them straight up, hey, you, that was bad. We need to fix that. Not necessarily what they need to fix, because by the time you've stopped, they probably already know what's wrong. Assuming they're a higher level musician, like in a high school, middle schoolers wouldn't be able to know that. So you have to be like, all right, hey, uh, clarinets, something's wrong with your group. Let's see if you guys can try to fix this. Then you go back like, hey, can I have percussion and clarinets? And then they work on it again. And then you can hear a little bit clearer who the problem is. And then you can maybe go more towards the individual problem within the group. Again, not singling someone out. That can really hurt someone 
if you single someone out, sometimes it's the most devastating thing for these students. You can also single someone out with nonverbal communication. And that I think is even worse because you see something go wrong and then you like look at what was wrong and then they just completely shut down. It's kind of the same feeling when someone's disappointed in someone. They don't want to feel like a disappointment to you, but you singling them out with that nonverbal communication makes them kind of feel a little bit more like a disappointment. No one likes being a disappointment. I definitely don't. One way I have used nonverbal communication in my classroom to actually have a huge benefit has to actually do with discipline. What I do is if a class is too rowdy or they're not following classroom expectations and stuff like that, is I will teach that entire class without saying a single word. So imagine you're in a theory classroom. You're learning how to read notes. And I put up on the board a staff, I put a treble clef, and I put some notes down. And then your teacher just points at it, looks at it around the classroom, and then just points at it again. They clearly want an answer. The hard part is they don't know what you're asking. So then I'm just like, I just draw a little question mark and an arrow to the note. Then some kids will be like, oh, what's the note? And then, you know, one kid will give it. Then I'll just go to the next one. Completely, absolutely silent, not doing a single thing. And you would not be surprised at how well this works. Because it works way too well. To where it's almost so surprising, you're not surprised. The room quiets down so much, so quickly, to where every single person can actually hear what you're doing, even though you're not verbally communicating. Some of them will beg for you to stop and you just shake your head and you just point right back at the board. Sometimes you'll have to physically write out your question and it just won't make sense. And then you'll just point at the, at the question again. And it is, it's not exactly torture, but like, I feel like it's pretty much close to that when it comes to um, having their brains work. Cause a lot of them can't put the pieces together without you explaining it. And so for those kids, they're not getting much, but they are, it's still in a way, but again, this only happens when the class is disruptive, not following expectations. And you just need to get through class, get someone to understand this. So then later you can go back over it and explain it a little bit better. Another thing I like to do is what I do is I put a timer on my Google home. I have a Google home, in my classroom, and I would be like, Hey, Google add 10 minutes to the timer or set a five minute timer or something like that. And they know that if they cannot be quiet for that full five seconds, not five seconds, five minutes, then they will have it reset and reset and reset and reset and reset. Every time someone talks, Hey, Google, cancel timer and restart a five minute timer. They also get really quiet because they want class to happen. But I tell them straight up, Hey, you don't follow expectations. Class won't happen. I will set a timer. And until you get it done, we are not having class. You're going to sit there you're going to be quiet. And when you can be quiet, then we'll do class and then move forward. It wastes a lot of time, but it is so effective 
to teach them the behaviors, the expectations to where some kids are so perfect and some kids are just not perfect, but everyone knows who those not perfect kids are. So then you really can tell without even thinking about it. The superintendent could walk in the room, take five seconds to look around and point out every top person who's following expectations and could probably point out a few who are definitely nowhere close. And, you know, sometimes we waste way too much time in class, but that's okay. That's a point where there's not really communication. It's just, hey, Google, set a timer. But they know what that means because they learned it because I had to do it a verbal communication of it. And then the nonverbal of me just chilling in my chair, working on stuff while the timer is just counting down and the constant refresh. So we need to think a lot more as musicians, as teachers, as people, how our verbal communication and nonverbal communication is being portrayed because it can help us in both good ways and in bad ways. I've had verbal communication backfire because of some tone of voice I was using to where the kid took it the wrong way. Maybe I said something sarcastically, but I didn't use the right tone of voice. So it was not obvious sarcastic and caused some troubles. And you could just do nonverbal communication, like shunning away from someone or just ignoring them. Like you need to think about how you are portraying yourself at all times. The best example I have where verbal communication is so critical is IT phone calls because you're having some technological issues or you're trying to call your bank for some issues or something like that. I have learned over all of my experiences that the nicer you are, the more polite you are, and the more calm you are, the quicker and easier that process is. When you become so irate and you're yelling and you're screaming and you're just screaming at this person and you're not letting them speak, it just makes it take so much longer because A, they have to try to calm you down so that A, they can speak and B, for you to understand what they're saying. You get mad, you don't listen, you ask for them to repeat themselves and they've already said the thing five times. But if you're calm and you just go with like, hey, this is my problem, what can you do to help me? What do you need from me? I'll do whatever I need to. Please help me out. It will go so much quicker. It will go so much easier. Same thing at like a grocery store. If you are sassy to people, they will be sassy right back. If you treat someone with respect and be nice, you'd be amazed at the different mood that they come back at you at. If I just walked up to a cashier, put, you know, put a middle finger up, and threw my stuff on the thing and said, do your job, bag lady, or something like that. Like they would just, they'd be in such a bad mood and they would like, uh, just, it's a whole different experience. Just the way you approach someone and deal with someone can change your entire experience with that someone in a heartbeat. The last superintendent I had, a lot of the students always had a negative portrayal of him. And the reason this was, was because they only dealt with him when it was involving discipline stuff. Other than that, he would totally leave them alone. So I end up having to explain to some of my students, hey, he's a really nice guy. 
you just don't see the nice part of him because the only time you deal with him is when he is in a bad mood because he has to do some discipline or he's talking to you for a very you know serious reason. And just that lack of communication actually caused them to only have a certain view because the only time they would communicate would be in a negative manner. So you don't even need verbal or nonverbal communication. Not having communication at all can also lead to certain things. That is what makes us as a society so hard to deal with. And the reason we have so much drama is the lack of communication. I hope you got something out of today's episode because this conversation of communication isn't just for the music classroom. It's not just for us as humans. It's for all of humanity. It's for every single person you ever meet, ever see, ever even hear about. This idea of communication creates and or destroys any kind of relationship or product or anything along the lines of that. I hope you think about the ways you communicate verbally, non-verbally, or maybe not even communicate to those around you, to your students, or even to yourself, believe it or not. You yourself do need communication. Hopefully you can look back at this episode and just think about how you communicate. Maybe tweak something about it that makes your communication maybe more effective, more clear, something along those lines. Because again, communication is super important. Maybe you'll say hi to someone down the street tomorrow just because you're like, hey, that person looks like they're in a bad mood. Let me just try to cheer them up, say something nice. Just do a, have a nice interaction. See how different that is compared to a non-happy interaction or a more uh, irritated interaction. It's a completely different feel. And when you think about how they're communicating and how you're communicating, it can actually be resolved by changing up how you're communicating, changing up tone of voice, all this other stuff. We could talk about this for days, but I am gonna cut it here because I feel like I've rambled enough for you guys. Hopefully you got something out of this. I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Behind Composed Doors podcast. I hope you learned something new or reinforced an idea you already had. It's time to close these doors again. We can't wait to have you back.